reading from God's word from the book of Mark, chapter 7, 1 to 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of man's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Um, Folks, let's bow in prayer, shall we? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and we pray now that you would focus our minds and hearts on the seriousness of uh, your uh, word to us today. Father, we pray that uh, you would penetrate the um, ignorance of our minds and the callousness of our hearts that uh, we would be humble before you, that we would uh, be people who uh, not only listen and understand, but uh, are changed by your word. We pray for the children as they gather around your word as well. We pray these very same things for them. And we do so in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, two Sundays ago I skipped church. I decided to stay home and watch TV instead. Uh, I wasn't being slack, I was being 
sick and I kind of didn't want to spread the love uh, around uh, a great deal. It meant that I got the opportunity to do what uh, some other people, I guess, do on Sunday mornings and that's watch the televangelists. So I watched this televangelist and uh, I've got to say he was, uh, he was very easy to listen to. Uh, a very good speaker, he was very warm, very engaging. He told uh, very good stories and he, he, had me, he had me hooked. I was listening very carefully to what he was saying, as were the 10,000 or so people that were in his congregation on that day. And uh, I could see why he was so popular. But uh, what was intriguing for me was uh, to really uh, see through that and consider what the message was. And if I could boil it down, the message was this. He was saying, do not think about and do not remember the negative things uh, in your life and the negative things about who you are. Uh, Instead, only ever think about the good things about you and the positive things. Uh, Because God loves you and if you want to be successful then don't dwell on any negatives, just think about all of the positives. And he did actually say that nowhere in the scriptures does it say that we should actually think about the bad things uh, in our lives. Uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, Paul in uh, 1 Timothy describes himself as being the worst of all sinners... (laughs) But uh, nevertheless, there's, there's sort of like a kind of like a half truth in some of what he's saying. You know, if you're uh, always dwelling on the negatives, well, that's not great. You know, we should be dwelling in the on the po- thinking about positive things and thinking about the good things of God. But that wasn't really what he was on about. Uh, what he was reflecting was an attitude which I think we see uh, in our society in our Western culture, which says that the human heart is basically good, that we're basically okay. And it's really just our environment and the things that happen to us that cause us to do wrong things. And this is an attitude which we see um, permeating into, uh, infiltrating into the church uh, some preachers, like the tele-evangelist, uh, really uh, dismiss the idea of sin. Uh, they even deny the idea of sin. I've heard some say that the idea of sin is the most terrible thing. Uh, others, though, uh, would say that human beings, we're basically good, but, yeah, we're not perfect, but we can kind of give our goodness a bit of a top-up. You you know, if we do certain things and if we don't do other things, uh, if we perform certain religious rituals and ceremonies, then we can make up for our failings so that in the end we can make ourselves good enough for God. Now, that is an attitude which... From my reading of the scriptures, uh, we, we, we can see was actually held by a good number of Jews uh, at the time of Jesus. Well, let me show you um, 
how we see this in today's passage, if you care to open up at Mark chapter 7, as we look at verses 1 to 23. But before we do that, um, <clears throat> I remember back in my childhood, there was one question that my mother would always ask before we sat down to the meal table, and it was the question, have you washed your hands? Thank you so much, Mum. That's just drilled into me. Now, in a sense, that's a bit similar to a question which is asked of Jesus uh, in this passage. Uh, we see it, I think it's in verse 4, that um, uh, Jesus had been... Um, uh, verse 5, rather. Uh, you see, the context was that uh, a group of scribes and Pharisees had gathered around Jesus... And they ask him this question, and that is, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Um, what's the problem? The problem is the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. Now, this is not, an, this is not a hygiene issue. Uh, this is all about being clean in the sight of God. Uh, let's backtrack to uh, the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, uh, when the priests were to enter into the tabernacle, and you know what the tabernacle is, don't you? That was the temporary uh, place where the Ark of the Covenant was held you know, before the, 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 uh, the temple was built. And when the priests would enter into the tabernacle... Uh, that they would have to wash their hands and their feet. Now, there's, if you boil it down, the basic reason for that is that uh, God is a holy God and the priests, being men, are sinful, they're impure, they're unclean. And you can't just, as a sinful, unclean human being, rock up to a holy God uh, without acknowledging that. And so by ceremonially washing their hands and their feet before entering into the tabernacle, they were proclaiming that God is a holy God and I am a sinful man. I need to be cleaned. All right? So that's the, the background to it. And uh, over the, as the centuries rolled on by, though, the religious leaders... Uh, made up their own man-made laws in respect to this. And they kind of expanded the whole washing sort of uh, issue. They did it in a couple of ways. First of all, they made it mandatory for all people to wash themselves, uh, not just the, the priests. And secondly, they extended it so that you had to wash your hands before you ate. I mean, after all, uh, you might have just been down at the marketplace. Uh, you might have come into contact with something that a Gentile had come into contact with, something which was then spiritually and ceremonially unclean. And so you wouldn't want to uh, you know, go back and cook your food and then eat your food and then for any spiritual uncleanness to enter into your body through the food that you ate. And so therefore... Everyone had to wash their hands ceremonially before they ate. Um, Mark explains this. If you have a look at uh, verses 3 and 4, 
because Mark, you know, he's, some of his readers are Gentiles. They're, they're not brought up in the Jewish traditions, and so they need a few explanations given to them, which is pretty good for you and me, isn't it? So in Mark 3, in verse 3, uh, Mark explains the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Uh, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. Uh, it, it sounds like Mark even seems a bit, a bit exasperated at the end there, says, where he says, you know, if you can add some expression to it, and, says, and, they, and they do all sorts of things like this. They wash the kettles, they wash the cups, they wash the, the, the pitchers, and all sorts of things like that. Um, Jews today still do that. Uh, I was uh, interested after the 9 o'clock service talking to one of the older guys who had some involvement with Presbyterian youth in the past when Presbyterian youth used to own a large camping property at Thornlea. Sometimes they would rent it out to a Jewish group and the Jewish group would uh, come for their camp and they would have to almost totally renovate the kitchen before they could use it because they'd, they would put covers over everything that they were going to put their pots and pans on. They'd bring their own pots and pans. They had to change the handles on the, on the stoves so that they didn't touch anything that a Gentile could have possibly touched because if they did that, then it went into the food, it went into their bodies. Um, that was an issue. Um, and, and so, you know, that was going on in Jesus' day. And, uh, you know, they washed everything that was connected with their food. You know, not just because of hygiene. I mean, a cup could have been perfectly hygienic, but they'd still wash it because they believed that that was necessary in order for them to be clean in the sight of God and right with God. Um, they were so fastidious. At the time of Jesus, all of the rules and regulations were just oral traditions, just passed down by word of mouth. But a couple of hundred years later, they, they, they decided to put it all down in writing uh, in a book called the Mishnah. And when they did that, the, the section on the washing of utensils before eating, 30 chapters... <laughs> 30 chapters of every single thing that you had to wash, how you had to wash it, when you washed it. And so imagine that 30, that was so meticulous uh, that, uh, and it was developing. In fact, the reason they wrote it down in the Mishnah was because they didn't want the oral tradition of the Pharisees at the time of Jesus to disappear. And it was something which regulated the whole of life for a Jewish family and still does uh, even to this day. And they would do this because they believed that doing certain things could make you clean and right in the sight of God. We Aussies would never think that way, would we? Half the Aussies I, don't, I know don't even think about God. <laughs> but yeah, I reckon we would think that way, actually. Yeah, we're nowhere near as sophisticated as the as the Jews, but um, how many people do, do you know that would say, well, yeah, I think I'm okay with God. I mean, you know, I, I was baptised when I was a baby. I go to communion. I go to church services. And, and, you know, they do these things in the view that somehow that might make them acceptable to God. Some denominations even have their own food laws, don't they? 
Um, the Roman Catholics would say that you, know, you don't eat red meat on which day of the, year, of the week? On Friday. Don't eat meat, red meat on, on Fridays. That's why the fish and chip shops are so full on Friday nights. Uh, the SDA say that you don't, meet, don't eat meat at all if you really want to be obedient to God and have a right relationship with God. You don't put meat or you don't put red meat into your body. Now, what was the problem with all of these Jewish rules about food and washing? Well, one of the problems is that people can use these things in order to hide from God. People can fastidiously obey all of these meticulous rules and regulations and do's and don'ts in order to, to create a screen that makes them look good on the outside, but they think that God cannot see past the externals and into their hearts. And so Jesus tells these Pharisees and teachers of the law that he can see what's going on inside their hearts. What does he call them? See, uh, in verses 6 through to 13, you know, they've asked Jesus this question, why don't your disciples wash according to the traditions of the elders? At that point, Jesus has got a few choices in how he responds, doesn't he? Jesus could say, oh, whoops, sorry about that. Didn't realise. No, look, you know, we don't want to offend anyone. Um, no, no dramas. We'll, 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 we'll get it right next time. Did he say that? No. So he doesn't backtrack. In fact, Jesus just doesn't even stand his ground. Instead, he call he goes on to the attack. Uh, what does he call them? What's the word that he uses? He calls them hypocrites. He says, Isaiah was right when he spoke about you. You hypocrites. Now, why is it that Jesus calls them hypocrites? Well, it's because they hold on to those religious laws and regulations very, very tightly with a very, very firm grip. But on the other hand, they let go of the commands of God. They hold the commands of God with great looseness. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. Because of that, in fact, they even use their traditions as an excuse for not obeying the commands of God. Now, Jesus says, well, I'll give you an example of that. And uh, he does so in verses uh, 10 through to 13. I might just read that for you. In verse 10, uh, he says... Um, well, let's go back to verse 9. He said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Now, that's a bit of a strange argument. What does it, what does it actually mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the, the term Corban, as Mark explains here, means a gift which is devoted to God. 
And so you could make a vow, you could give a gift, and it would uh, be devoted to God, so uh, it's kind of sanctified for God's purposes. But the way that they kind of twisted that tradition uh, was uh, they, they did so in a way so that a man could declare part of his property to be Corbin, devoted to God, but get this, uh, he didn't actually have to give it to the temple. Uh, get this, he could still continue using it himself. But get this, the purpose of declaring that property or having it declared by the priests to be Corbin was so that he could actually prevent certain other people from using that property and gaining any advantage from it. So Jesus uses the illustration here of a man who actually uh, declares his property to be Corbin so that his parents can't get their hands on the property. Now, uh, why someone would make that kind of vow, you know, we can only speculate, but uh, it seems that that was a real case example that Jesus is referring to. And it contradicts the, uh, uh, the commands of God, doesn't it? What's the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment is to honour your father and mother. Right? And part of honouring your father and mother is that you, you care for them. You know, in their, in their old age, you provide for them. And so what if this man has declared his property Corbin so that his mum and dad can't get the benefit from it, but then he decides to repent on the basis of the word of God and he wants to be able to use the, the property for his parents and he goes to the scribes and the Pharisees to be released from that vow and what do they say? They say No. You've made a vow according to our traditions. You can't use that property to care for your mum and dad. And what Jesus is saying there is that their traditions, which are the traditions, that they would call them the traditions of the elders, Jesus calls them the traditions of men, that those traditions are actually taking precedence over the word of God and obeying God. And in that sense, they are hypocrites. How hypocritical of them to be doing that and be fussing over whether or not the disciples have washed their hands. Now, it's, and Jesus says in verse 13, and I guess you could imagine Jesus staring them down at this point and says to them, and you do many things like that. This is not the only example that he could use. I want us to think about whether or not sometimes we can allow our traditions to override what God wants us to be doing. I think that we can. And uh, sometimes unthinkingly, and sometimes it's helpful for other people to point it out to us as well, but uh, I, I remember one example. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus commands his disciples to go into all the world and to make other disciples. Uh, God wants us to reach out to people with love, uh, with the gospel. God wants us to reach out to those people who are on the fringe of society, those people who are less acceptable to others. Um, I was in a church once where one of our church members was doing exactly that. Uh, he was uh, seeking to minister to street kids. 
and uh, effectively so. And uh, one of the street kids he was ministering to, reaching out to with the gospel, he managed to bring him along to church one day. Not an easy thing for a kid who hasn't, you know, darkened the doorstep of a church for most of his life to step into a church building. There was a dress code tradition in that church, an unspoken dress code tradition, uh, which did not involve baseball caps twisted around backwards. So before the service began, the elders who were offended that there was a man in their church with a baseball cap uh, flipped around backwards uh, went and told him so, told him to remove his hat in order to honour God. Now, I love those elders, but they were wrong. They were, they were deeply wrong, and they had allowed their culture to override what I believe God would have wanted them to do, and that is to actually bend over backwards to make that young non-Christian man feel welcomed and to feel comfortable and to feel accepted uh, and not rejected because of the clothes that he was wearing or the way he was wearing them. And you can see how that kind of thing can happen, can't you? I wonder uh, if sometimes we might need to reflect on some of our attitudes uh, towards traditions. Are there things which, you know, we believe that if they're not done rightly, then we haven't truly worshipped God? Of course, there are some things which are actually un unchangeable in terms of our church services, the preaching of the Word of God, the reading of the Word of God, the singing of praises to God, prayer to God, connecting and fellowshipping with one another. These are the things which are unchangeable. But I wonder if sometimes people want to uh, change the things which should be unchangeable and be absolutely fixed about the things which we should be completely flexible about if we're to actually reach out to people and connect with uh, our community. So why did Jesus and his Jesus' disciples not do the ceremonial washing of their hands before eating? Um, you see, we've worked through significant part of the passage, but Jesus still hasn't answered that question. He's exposed the hearts of the Pharisees, but he hasn't answered their question until you get to verses 14 to 23. And there he deals with the question. And the reason is this. The reason why Jesus' disciples are not all too fussed about washing their hands ceremonially before they eat food and put it into their mouths, the reason is this. The reason is that nothing that you can eat can possibly ever make you spiritually unclean in the sight of God. Because in verse 19, uh, when you eat something... What happens? It goes in through your mouth, goes down into your stomach, and then leaves your body. Actually, the translators of our Bible are more polite uh, than what Jesus actually was in what he actually said about the leaving of the body. But you see, the stomach is not the problem. In verse 19, the problem is the heart, and Jesus is not talking about the blood-pumping muscle that we have in our chest in the Bible just like in our culture 
the heart refers to a person's desires, a person's will, a person's affections. It refers to who a person is at the deepest level of their personhood. And friends, we all have inherited a rebellious, sinful heart from Adam. Uh, Jesus says in verse 20, that what makes a person unclean in the sight of God is not what goes into his stomach. What makes us unclean are the things which come out of our heart, like evil thoughts, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, envy, lust, jealousy, envy, slander, arrogance, and so on, and so on, and so on. And you think to yourself, yep, I know what he's talking about there. People say that the human heart is basically good and it's just society that corrupts. Do you think that's true? Do you think that uh, if you are able to do a laboratory kind of scientific experiment, you get two newborn babies and you put them into a kind of like a a bubble in a perfect sort of environment and you feed them food and, and water and you know, look after their bodily functions and they grow up in that kind of environment, uh, do you think that they'd have a perfect relationship with each other? I don't think so. It wouldn't take... Do, do, you, do you have to train a child uh, to be selfish? Do you have to teach a child to be selfish? No, you have to teach a child to be unselfish because selfish comes natural, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the human state. And we see that, uh, you know, in, in adults. Uh, I mean, I think it's, in, it's interesting where from time to time, just in the news, uh, you'll hear of a situation whereby an ordinary average person going about their daily business uh, suddenly finds themselves in a situation where they could do something really bad and get away with it, uh, and they do it. So a few years ago, I read in the paper, um, just to illustrate that, a, uh, a couple in Rotorua in New Zealand. They were a business couple. They owned a petrol station. And they would have been just ordinary people like you or me. Uh, they would have been good, hard-working, moral, upright people. And they applied to the ANZ Bank for a $10,000 bank overdraft. And somewhere, a computer or a person in the ANZ Bank, instead of sending them $10,000 into their bank account, sent them $10 million into their bank account. Now, temptation stirred up and aroused something which was already in their hearts and this ordinary average day hard-working middle-class moral couple suddenly were wanted by Interpol <laughs> because they, with, they nicked the $10 million. And you hear stories like that, don't you? Uh, you know, I remember years ago, uh, there was a blackout in a department store for 10 minutes. They lost thousands of dollars worth of stock. Just ordinary people just doing their shopping. Suddenly, there's an opportunity to become a thief. Right? And we see this uh, in our own lives and in our own hearts in other uh, uh, less uh, newsworthy ways, don't we? When, that when we are tempted the evil which is already in our hearts just flows into action. 
So when we're in a situation where it's possible for us to maybe gossip or slander or lust or and we don't think we we think we're going to get it and and it just kind of flows out we've actually got to work hard for that not to happen why did the disciples not wash their hands the reason is pretty clear and that is that because there is no ritual no ceremony no religious practice, nothing that we could eat, nothing that we don't eat, nothing that we could do, nothing that we cannot do. There is nothing that you and I can have the power that can in any way cleanse our hearts. The prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Beyond cure is what Jeremiah said. And friends, when we allow that truth to to pierce our pride, when we allow that truth to sweep away the arrogance in our hearts, which says that I can make myself good enough for God by performing rituals or by just trying to be a bit more moral, when we allow that truth of the blackness and the darkness, the putridness of the human heart to sweep away our pride, then we make the first step towards becoming truly clean in the sight of a holy God. Because we recognise that we can't do it. We recognise that we need somebody else to do it for us, that we need a saviour. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, It says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. By dying on the cross, Jesus has paid for our guilt. So that on the day of judgment, God looks at us. And what does he see? Instead of the putridness of our hearts, he sees that we are spotless, that we are free from the stain of sin, that we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And so Jesus is the one who can cleanse our hearts. And it is Jesus who has sent the Holy Spirit, who comes into our lives, who changes us, who sanctifies us, who purifies us from the inside out. I think that um, many Aussies do believe that on the day of judgment, that they should be pretty much okay with God. I think that's the case. I mean, uh, you know, people I come across, I talk to about this issue, they say, well, you know, I, I, I obey the Ten Commandments. Haven't read them lately, I'm not sure what they are, but I'm sure that I've obeyed them. Um, I'm a pretty good person, and uh, oh, my grandparents go to church, so... You know, we've got a bit of a family. We're Presbyterians, you know. Uh, Well, I've got to tell you, you know, I've been baptised. I've been confirmed. I've been ordained. I go to church twice on most Sundays, except two Sundays ago. I know my Bible, you know, reasonably well. I've studied all of the rules and the regulations of the Presbyterian church in the code book. You think any of those things are going to make me right with God? You think any of those things are going to cleanse my heart? 
You think that any of your religious traditions, your religious background is going to cleanse your heart? No. It's only the blood of Jesus that can save you. And it seems to me that we need to be helping people to understand that. Most Aussies, they're just operating on the basis of folk religion. They, they believe what they believe, possibly because they've never been taught any different. And what God wants us to do is to help them to understand, to lovingly, graciously, carefully, not to compromise, not to say, yeah, I think you're right, but to help them to understand that a holy God is in stark contrast to the fallenness of our hearts and that we need a saviour. So how do we do that? Well, I think we've got to sometimes get the conversation rolling around to uh, what is really wrong uh, with our world. Do you find sometimes your friends you know, when we'll say, I, I just don't know what's wrong with our world. Uh, you know, you look at the newspapers. You look at the newspapers just over, what, the past, you know, four or five days. Um, it's not a pretty sight, is it? What have we learnt about in the newspapers in the last four or five days? Well, we've learnt that there's, uh, that there's deep uh, drug use happening in organised sport in Australia. Uh, we've learnt that there's probably match-fixing taking place and uh, $50 billion worth of betting on one football match. We've learnt that. We've uh, seen a federal politician arrested and charged by the police. Uh, we've seen a, a, a corruption inquiry uh, dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars that have been uh, uh, corruptly obtained you know, at the highest levels of government. We've seen uh, you know, someone being racially abused for 15 minutes on a bus. This is off the top of my head. Right? And people say, oh, I don't know what's happening to this world. I don't know where it's, what's wrong with the world. And I think it's sometimes helpful to say things like, I just wonder if the heart of the human problem might actually be the problem of the human heart. What do you think about that? And see where that kind of conversation leads to. As we just get people to think that maybe it's not just other people. Maybe it's all of us. Maybe it's the human heart. And we need the cleansing that only Jesus can bring. Well, look, let's pray about that and um, bring the matters before God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus' diagnosis of the human condition. Father, we thank you that he doesn't just diagnose the human heart, but that he is the cure for the human heart. We pray, Father God, that we would have a clear understanding of the world that we're living in, of our own selves and of other people. We pray, Father God, that you would um, rid us of all hypocrisy, that you would expose for us areas in our own thinking, in our own practice, whereby we might be allowing our traditions to override what you want. Father, we pray uh, that you would open up opportunities for us to share with others uh, something of the cleansing work that Jesus can do. We pray these things in his name.
Amen.